Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Morning Show podcast for another bumper episode. A hit for you. We speak with reality TV fave and son of Caitlyn Jenner, Brandon Jenner. He joins us direct from LA. Plus, uh, Danny Minogue is celebrating two big milestones this year. Find out why Danny is cracking open the bubbly. And the surprising ways you could be fired. You won't believe some of the reasons people have been sacked from their jobs. But we begin with TV royalty and one of the first stars of the reality genre, Kelly Osbourne. Well, she's known for her flair, for fashion and total lack of filter. Kelly Osborne is always herself and that's why she has millions of followers right across the globe. But while the Osbournes may not have had the easiest ride into 2021, the British superstar isn't ready to back down. OK, folks, strap yourselves in because Kelly has been given her very own show. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Partnering up with her best friend to reveal all about life in the spotlight from sobriety to weight loss, fame and failure. Uh, take it from us when we say nothing is off limits. We love that. <laughs> We're excited to welcome Kelly Osborne back to the morning show. Hi, Kelly. Great to see you again. Good morning. Hi. Hey. Looking amazing. Last time you joined us, I think you put a bra on your face. Now, yes, I did. Uh, yes. <laughs> we... Because I tried to do that make a uh, mask out of a bra challenge thing and <laughs> it just didn't work. But... Uh, you've lost even more weight since then, so <laughs> maybe the bras now would work. Right, so today is an underwear-free uh, chat zone. Safe to say? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Underwear-free chat zone? Oh, well, no, so what are you and, and, well, On your that face. That could make it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, that was about 12 months ago. <laughs> Larry's yeah. first, it's okay. J just keep the shot just below the chin. We're fine, <laughs> Kelly, with that. Now, that was about 12 months ago at the height of lockdown. You've since revealed at the end of lockdown in LA, you had um, a nervous breakdown. Uh, talk us through this. Why do you think that happened? It was a very anxious, nervous okay, time for everyone, right? so I was being joking when I used the term nervous breakdown and the media turned it into something a lot bigger than that. That, that was not the case. I got too happy and thought that I was fixed and thought that I could drink like a normal person. So I had a drink and it, for the first two days it worked and I drank one drink or two drinks and it was fine. And then about three days into it, I was drinking bottles and couldn't stop myself and was right back where I started when I finished drinking and quickly snap myself out of it because I did not work this hard to fix all these problems just to throw myself back into it. So, wow, so you call it, would you call it a relapse? Is, is that... Of course, yeah, a, a full-blown relapse. A full-blown relapse. So what yeah. is it that this, you're able to, to snap your fingers and get out of that? Because that's a, that's a really terrific thing you're able to do. I think the longer that you are in recovery and 
the more that you want this and the more that you realize how much life is really worth living and my addiction and, and my makes where I'm most comfortable is alone and drunk feeling sorry for myself and that is not a life to live by any means it's not a life that I want so it and I, you know, I didn't spend three, four years getting everything back on track and finally becoming a whole human that didn't have like issues of any kind because I was in full recovery mm. and all my dreams of what come true. I sold three TV shows during the pandemic and they're all in pre-production and I don't want to blow that because... Mm. I can't keep it together. It's, it's not worth it. Wow. Kelly, you posted about your relapse on Instagram. You knew that would lead to a tidal wave of you know, mainly support, I suppose. Why did you decide to go public with that um, so publicly? And how helpful was everyone piling on going, we've got your back, stay strong, stay positive, all that sort of behaviour? Okay, so it's weird. I was met with, with two sides when I came out publicly. Some people thought that I was doing it for attention, which I was like, no, you don't get it. I was doing it so that I can be held accountable. So that I need that in order to stay sober. That's part of, of how my recovery works. And I knew that if I didn't come clean, I could have kept going for so long until I got myself into a place that I couldn't get out. And it's that's why it was so important to me because once everybody knew i, I had to do something about mm. it that's good this is the first topic that you cover on your new podcast now this is with the life coach who first intervened when you were younger right so what's yeah. something we maybe so what's something maybe that we don't realize about that time in your life from back then okay i almost swore <laughs> I, I was a nightmare um i actually called the police on him to get him out of my house because I had been intervened so many times that I knew my legal rights in intervention. <laughs> like, I was horrible, like horrible. I He said it took him like a week to, he had like an emotional hangover. I literally abused him, but I, I wore the badge pri like, proudly that I was one of his, like one of his top five most difficult interventions. And let me tell you, he's had guns pulled on him. So wow. I was like, it just makes me feel proud of myself that I came full circle and now him and I are friends and I'm I'm not a mess anymore. I almost fell back into it, but it's just not it's not where I want to be. No no one likes the drunk chick. No, no. Well we're we're proud of you too for not pulling a gun on him as well. Now we gotta <laughs> no, go back. I don't have a gun. <laughs> we gotta go back even further, right? We actually found uh, an appearance you made on Joan Rivers talk show. You were just six years old <laughs> look at you taking center stage how adorable the funniest thing about that video if you continue watching it all i do is yawn and scratch my crotch throughout the entire <laughs> and you just i watched it and i was like oh my god and then all those years later she ended up my mentor and one of the best things that ever happened to me every single day that i got to spend with her is something that i cherish and hold so dear to my heart she was the most incredible woman I've ever met in my life. She is, she is missed, that is for sure. Your podcast, Kelly, it's also a vodcast, so people can tune in. So what else can we expect on the show? So, okay, the next, epi the next episode after the first one, which was about uh, drug addiction and relapse and uh, addiction in general, 
The one after that is about weight loss and the surgery that Jeff and I both had, both had the gastric sleeve. And then we're going to slip into some more entertainment and I don't have TikTok. I've not been on TikTok. So they are going, we're going to get a couple of our friends who are really big TikTok stars. I'm not going to say who, but maybe one of them is named Bryce. Maybe one is not. We're not sure mm-hmm. yet. And he is going to teach me some TikTok dances and I'm finally going to launch a TikTok page. And it'll be funny because I've been so um, defiant in not having one. Yeah. But now, like, secretly, I really want one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, as we say goodbye, we wanted to show you Kourtney Kardashian's new look. Now, she's gone purple too uh, via a filter. Really? Are you on? This is really catching on, this, uh, <laughs> this thing you're doing. Oh, that's awesome. She looks rad. <laughs> Hers is just a filter. I think yours is more long-term by the look of it. Kelly, we love catching... Oh, yeah, I'm a commitment girl. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you're going to do something, you go the full 110%. Uh, so great. Yeah, so great to see you again, Kelly. Can I just say good morning, Melinda Varga? I miss you so much. I love you. Oh, thank you. She's I- an Aussie. Sorry. She's, yeah, but you know the, the nanny from the Osbournes who's still like oh, my yeah. best friend? Yeah, so Melinda, I have to say hi. Oh, and, and thank you for uh, allowing the viewers who sit at home and watch this show yawning and scratching their crotch to make them feel better about themselves. We appreciate it. <laughs> Always good fun, Kelly. Thank you. Yes, it's behaviour we encourage. Thank you so much. <laughs> you can stream the Kelly Osbourne and Jeff Beecher show, a podcast and a vodcast today. We never, ever like to play favourites with our guests here on The Morning Show. We always say that just before we introduce one of our favourites. But we do love us some Danny Minogue. From young talent time to home and away, and those hit singles of the 90s and noughties, Danny has become part of the fabric of Australian pop culture for sure. Yeah, you've only just scratched the surface here, lads, because Danny's hosted TV shows, models, and even runs her own fashion label. But this week, she's putting all of her focus onto arguably one of the most important dates of the year by adding a little sparkle to Mother's Day, a little Minogue magic. Danny Minogue joins us live from our Melbourne studio. Hi, Danny. Good morning. Cheers. Hey. I don't have a glass in my hand yet, but cheers. It's all right. So we got plenty over you. here. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> offset. Uh, too long since we've spoken to you, but we've seen a lot of you lately because the 50th anniversary of Young Talent Time, gee, it's been fun seeing all that old vision. It's so good to reconnect with friends as well like some of us are really tight and we keep in contact but then just sort of people have changed numbers and stuff and really like okay here's my number we're all back together again and it's so nice to honor johnny young and all the good moments of television you forget that started i think the first episode was still black and white i wasn't in it then though <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a fantastic show. There have been a lot of old clips resurfacing. Uh, Mum and Dad are in a couple of those old clips and I think they wish they could destroy them because, as you know, they're, they're not comfortable on camera at all. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But isn't it funny that it was talking about fashion and that's you, you've ended up sort of in that space as well? Like, it's funny how, how your dreams actually come, come true. There are a couple of clips that I've found lately because, you know, me turning 50 this year with Young Talent Time, with going through stuff, where I say I'd like to be a fashion designer and be on TV, and they're the two things Look that I you. do, and that's me at, like, 17 saying that. <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm, I'm living the dream, as they say. <laughs> so, Danny, here's the thing. We look at these and all our audience looks at it and goes, that is so, so adorable. But we love to ask people like you, looking back at clips like this, do, um, do you think they're adorable or a bit cringy for you? 
I love the cringe factor, like it makes my palms go sweaty, but the more videos the better and uh, Kylie's always, if she finds something, she'll send it to me and go, oh God, this brings back so many good memories. Beautiful. So, so yeah, if someone posts something, she'll be first to send it to me. It's, it's, the, it's the fringe that really dates things, isn't it? It's, like, it's the fringe. Oh, I think that I'm responsible for part of the ozone layer not being there <laughs> because I remember the... The cans of hairspray were like the super duper duper big ones and yeah. they were lacquer. Anyone who's my age will know that it was all about lacquer. So yeah. once you teased it up, it just stayed there all yeah. day. Well, we expect to see you and Kylie Gillies in front of the Hague uh, for damage <laughs> to the ozone layer with hairspray. 100%. Yeah. Guilty. Uh, yeah. uh, so young child time, you were just a little, little, like younger than Ethan is now. Ethan's 10. Yes. Yeah. Could, can you look back, can you look at Ethan and go, wow, I just can't imagine him doing something like that? I can't just because of his personality type. Like, yeah. he loves singing and dancing, won't do it in front of anyone but me. So on the way to school, if you buy, you know, next to us in a car, we are rapping, we're doing dance moves. It's very embarrassing. But, yeah, he loves music and movement, but I think you have to be that kind of person that wants to be under the spotlight to mm. Actually, do it. Oh, you'll drag it out of him for sure. <laughs> uh, now, st sticking with family, we're here doing something really special for Mother's Day. This is great stuff. Tell us about the partnership with Yellow Glen. Yeah, uh, Yellow Glen is turning 50. I'm turning 50. I mean, it's a real heritage brand for Australia. So many people have had milestone moments like I'm celebrating this year with my birthday in Yellow Glen. To pop a bottle, oh gosh, there's yeah. <laughs> footage of me on set. Uh, I have popped so many bottles in my dressing room <laughs> in Channel 7. If, if you go in the ones and you see like the dent in the ceiling, they were my dressing room. Right. But on, as we're filming, you know, you put something in front of a camera and it's, it's bound to not work. The ones that we shook up took ages to pop and then ones that weren't shook up just blew off in my hand. So it was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, the Monogs are staying up a bit of a wine empire. Kylie's got her own collection too. She's got the rosé. Rosé, I think Yes. Yeah, we're very lucky to be guinea pigs at home. She's like, here's a new part of the collection. This isn't out yet. And we've been having a lot of fun with that. And she said to me, you know, yesterday, she's like, have fun with Yellow Glen. I mean, it is, it's a great business to be in. She knows that I'll be popping a bottle on Sunday for Mother's Day. We've got all the generations together in Australia. So my grandma, who's oh, just wow. turned 101, mum, myself and Kylie. So... I think after COVID and being separated, you can't miss any celebration. I don't want a, anything to pass without really being together. Oh, wow. Well, that's beautiful to have all the generations in one room and free alcohol. It's perfect. I, I it's think like the perfect. collective noun is called a, a glitter of Minogue. Uh, yes, I think that's, that's right. what it is. That's right. <laughs> it's a dangerous yet delicious combination. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Thank you. It's really great to see you, Danny. Thank you so much. See Thanks, you guys. Danny. Take it Gorgeous. easy. We'll see you soon. Well, 2021 is shaping up to be a pretty busy year for Brandon Jenner and his family. There's the end of the hit reality show that put them on the map, Caitlin's unexpected move into politics, and of course, raising young kids. But Brandon's not letting the spotlight distract him from his real creative passion, and that is, of course, music, releasing a brand new track, which has been inspired by an emotional, true story. And Brandon Jenner joins us live now from Los Angeles. Good to see you again. Good to see you guys. Thanks for showing some of that. Well, congrats on the track, Life for Two. I mean, this is a bit of a darker subject matter than we're used to hearing from you. 
Well, I, I, yeah, I tend to write songs about some pretty traumatic things that, that go on in humanity. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a consistent theme of mine. I'd like to try to tap tap into uh, emotions that people are going through in the world and write a song about it in hopes that it will heal people that are going through similar types of things. So, you know, this this was a song. Should I share the story? Just to, I'll, I'll make it very quick. Sure. Yeah. So after a show, there was a, a woman that came up to me and said that she had been diagnosed with um, a very bad illness and that she wasn't going to be around for, um, in a few years, she was going to be departing this world and she was leaving behind a couple of young kids. And she wanted me, being her favorite songwriter, which was very humbling, to write a song about her experience. And so I started writing it immediately and basically wrote a letter um, from her perspective as, as best as I could to her kids about what is important in life and what kind of role she will have uh, for them as they move forward. Oh, oh what a beautiful, yeah, beautiful <laughs> yeah. story behind that. Okay, not just your music keeping you busy, you got the three kids, including your twin boys, Sam and Bo, and they turned one this year. You got a house full of happiness, but a busy household, right? Mm -hmm. I do, yeah, yeah. I mean, family is the most important thing for me. I, I kind of have three big pillars in my life, which are family, and that's being a dad and a husband, and then um, music is uh, a very important important foundation for me. And then self-care, you know, just trying to stay healthy, eat right. We grow a lot of food here at our house. We're eating right out of the garden, trying to exercise and then do some things that are fun, like get out and go surfing occasionally and stuff. So between those three things, I do keep myself very busy. Yeah, we're going to ask about a vlog uh, that you filmed recently. Uh, you took Caitlin flying in your own plane for the first time. I mean, this is a hobby you two have in common. That's true, yeah. When I was in college, I started taking lessons and um, I've been flying now for, uh, I think, 19 years or something. And I got a bunch of ratings, my helicopter commercial license and stuff just for fun. It's a, it's a hobby. And it was really inspired by going up with my dad when I was really young and a kid sitting on her lap and taking the yoke and just trying to keep it straight and level. So to be able to, you know, come full circle and take her up in this little plane that I found and bought um, recently. Uh, I became a plane owner, which is so cool. And uh, it, it really meant a lot to the both of us to be able to, to kind of get out and, and see how the world just continues to move on. And hopefully I can carry that torch uh, onto my kids as well. Oh, how fun. Now, Caitlin uh, is keeping busy now going into politics, running for LA governor. Now there was a report, we've got to talk to you about it, that you and your brothers weren't happy with this career change. Is that true? Was there a report? I don't know. I, I keep my head out of the news as much as I can. Um, and, and she's technically running for California governor, which is the fifth largest economy in the world. This is a big deal. Not L.A. governor. I beg your um, pardon. So a couple of things. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let me just scrap that question. How do you feel about all that? Um, that's a good question. Clearly, it will put a lot of attention on um, myself and our family. Um, you know, I support anybody's decision to run a campaign and try to make a case for why they should be elected to office. Um, you know, my dad and I have, have talked about politics a lot over the years and, you know, we definitely see the world differently in some ways, but, um, you know, she has every right to go out there and make her case and hopefully gain the support that she needs um, and that she's looking for. So, you know, it's very early, there's a long way to go, but the fact that it's my parent really carries no weight with me. Um, it's all about policy at the end of the day. So. You know, that's that's how I'm going to weigh my decision on, you know, how, how I decide to uh, put my support and my vote behind. But um, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm eternally proud of her and who she is and all the things that she's accomplished and continues to accomplish as a parent, for sure. Okay. The, the final episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians just around the corner. I mean, you were in some of the earlier episodes. Uh, how are you feeling about the end of, of that era? Wow, I, you, this is the first uh, news I've heard about it, to be honest, uh, from you guys. So I didn't even know that was happening. Um, yeah, in the, your little reel before I was on, you said that uh, uh, my roots were in reality TV, but really that's not the case. Uh, I've been playing music ever since I was very young. My stepdad um, is a music producer, and I used to just hang out in the studio as a young kid and watch. So reality TV has kind of infiltrated my life um, rather than that being the foundation for uh, you know what it is that I do so you know we did a show a long time ago ago called the Princess of Malibu with my brother and I um, that was sold up to Fox a long time ago mm. um, my sisters did a reality show my other sisters not just the Kardashians but the foster girls yeah. so you know reality TV is just kind of it's a part of being in my family in LA uh, and I have shown up and done some appearances on some of those shows but uh, for the most part I just keep my head down focus on the music because that's the thing that really makes my soul happy. All right. Well, Brandon, thank you for, um, for, for politely correcting all the mistakes that I made in that interview. And I... It was just one. No, well, it was just a one. couple. We there was a governor thing. We'll there was a reality else? TV oh, thing. There was, you know. But listen, always lovely to chat to you. And I promise you, I'll get it all right next time. Guarantee. Okay, sounds good. You're going to have to write another song for us. You can stream Brandon's uh, new track. It's called Life for Two. And isn't that just a, a beautiful magic and beautiful story, story behind the track? Uh, Brandon's song is out now. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Well, Nikki Exotica has spent more than a million dollars on the way she looks. From head to toe, the recording artist is aiming for plastic perfection. And despite what the critics may say, Nikki says she is proud of her appearance. With more procedures than she can count already uh, out of the way, including gender reassignment surgery, Nikki's path to reclaiming her identity has led to social media stardom. Now, with the support of her legion of fans online, she's inspiring others to embrace being different. Let's say hi, Nikki Exotica, live from LA. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hey, How are you? Good, good. Oh, we've got so much to talk about. Let's go back to your childhood. You say you always knew you were different, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. What was childhood like? Childhood was hard, you know. Um, I was hiding it from my family that I wanted to be different, and I just kept putting on like makeup and, and painting my nails and going to school I was getting bullied I was putting makeup on in homeroom class and um, it was difficult you know I just I didn't understand myself I grew up in New Jersey by the Jersey Shore okay but you've described your transition as one of the best things that you have ever done so how did the initial surgeries inspire your look today were you hooked from day one um, no, I mean, actually, my first nose job, uh, it, it was so painful. And I said, I'll never get another uh, surgery, surgery procedure ever again. And, uh, and then after that, I don't know, I just kept on going and I couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so that was your first step in the million dollar Barbie journey, right? What makes, yes. what makes you different to other plastic surgery stars? I have done very, um, innovative procedures that others have not. I was probably one of the first 
people that to do calf implants at the time back in 1995, 96. It was it was around there. Um, and then I did just recently my eye color change procedure. So I've been doing my uh, lasering my eye color to from brown to blue. And uh, let's see what else. I did my voice change surgery before a lot of people have even heard about it. So yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. Nikki, can we talk about the eye color? I thought you must have had a filter on your camera. That's oh, not. So these are contact lenses until oh. my eyes get light enough. So my eyes are like very gray, gray brown right oh, now, okay. but they're going to be blue. Yeah, it takes sessions. So I'm at 16 sessions right now, and it takes about 30 sessions to get to blue. So oh. I'm still doing it. Oh wow! Oh my um, god, this is such a this is devotion. This is devotion yes. to a way you want to look. Dedicated. Dedicated. Wow. <laughs> and not cheap. You, we understand you've spent a million dollars or more. That's a lot of money. Do we ever think where yes. else you could have spent that money? Uh, or is that always... Oh, always my mother been... yells at me. My mom yells at me all the time. She's like, you know, you could have bought a car, a beautiful car, a home, a mansion, uh, everything, you know? And I'm just like, okay, but I'm happy, you know? Well, that's if, that, if it's bringing happiness, I guess that's what it's all about, right? Um, tell us about yes. this pet that you have. It's an F1 Savannah cat. Yes. I mean, not, it's not yes. right with you right now. We've got the photos, though. So it's half a serval, which is a wild cat from Africa. Wow. Yes. His dad is a serval and the mother is a Bengal. That's my baby. I've had him since 2004. Um, and I have another cat, a Bengal cat, which is part Asian leopard cat, but he's adorable. He's very mean and aggressive to other people. So when, like, everybody saw the video from Hooked on the Look and he was getting really nasty and growling, it was because the camera crew was there. He wouldn't really do that. Oh, okay. right. And these are really expensive, these, these cats, aren't they? Yes. Yes, I included him in the price. <laughs> no, but he, he was, I think he was about 15000 at the time when I got it. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So over a million dollars, that's where you're up to now. When will you be done? Or, or are we going to have to have you back as the $2 million Barbie? No. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm at a little bit over a million right now. Um, I think I'm doing, I'm redoing my teeth because I, I had braces on the bottom. So I'm doing a, my bottom veneers and then do we doing the top to match the bottom because you can't just do the bottom if you went to another doctor to do your top so you got to redo the whole mouth um and that's going to cost a lot <laughs> and yeah. then i'm probably doing butt implants because i had silicone removal surgery and i do want to talk to people about silicone injections is that although i was a supporter of silicone injections it is so bad for you and i would say to stay against it because mm. it's toxic. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's why we moved it. Hey, hey Nikki, we really got to go, but lots of our viewers will be wondering what you do for, for work. How are you raising these funds to do all this stuff? Well, I am a pop music artist, so I travel the United States and the world. I perform in many different countries. I perform in Mykonos and uh, Barcelona. I have some of my music videos up online on my YouTube channel. Great. And yeah, so I mean, I also act. I'm a model, influencer. I make money in many different ways, and I'm writing a book right now. So. Oh, you got lots going on. We can't wait to see the book. Yes. Come back and talk to us about that. Great to talk to you of today, course. Nikki. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
Well, in a normal year, Australians spend a whopping $1 billion on cosmetic treatments. That's non-surgical procedures, things like dermal fillers, anti-wrinkle injections. The boom is attributed to lower costs, minimal downtime and more social acceptance of the treatments. But is the risk always worth the reward? Radio host Sammy Lucas is getting candid about cosmetic procedures and why you should think twice before going under the needle. And Sammy Lucas joins us. Hello. Morning. I think it's a personal yeah. subject, but important to talk about, right? Let's yeah. go back to the beginning. So what happened? Well, let me just say, look, it is, it is a little embarrassing to talk about. And when you see the photos of what happened to me, you'll understand why. But I just think this happened to me. I can't change it. And if you've ever had or considered any kind of cosmetic procedure, I just want to share my story as a timely reminder that none of these procedures are entirely risk-free. And my issue here, Larry and Kylie, is that we're only just learning about some of the long-term effects of right. some of these minimally invasive procedures. Ooh. And I was kind of a human guinea pig for that. So, yeah, I started getting dermal filler like 15 years ago because I always, I grew up with sunken eyes. You know when you have the under eye hollows? I think we've got some old pics here. And it was one of those things that it, it didn't matter how much sleep I got, how much money I spent on expensive eye creams. I always looked tired because of these under eye hollows. And so it was always something that annoyed me. And and then in 2006, I heard about this non-invasive procedure, mm -hmm. dermal filler injections, where they inject, uh, uh, what's it called, hyaluronic acid under the skin, and it fills out the hollows mm -hmm. and cleans out wrinkles a little bit. And this was me just after I'd had my dermal filler injections. It's, you know, minimally invasive, it's non-surgical, it's relatively pain-free, relatively inexpensive. I thought, well, I'll give it a go. Mm -hmm. And the results were immediate and it was like the under eye hollows disappeared magically. And I thought, I'm hooked. Okay, so far yeah. this is a giant ad. So I know, no, so right, it worked for it. It worked but, beautifully. But this is a cautionary tale. Yeah. So that was 2006 what went wrong? Well, what happens with filler is it's designed to naturally dissolve into the body, so you need to go and get refresh jabs every six to 18 months. I could somehow manage to go two to three years between injections, so I would get my refills. The last injection I had was 2016, so more than four years ago. End of last year, out of the blue, I was at the movies on a Friday night, and this massive lump popped up under my eye, out of nowhere. Mm. And I went to the doctor, no one could tell me what it was. For five months, I had this business going on where I had lumps under both eyes, swelling, bruising. I'm sharing these disgusting photos, thinking of maybe putting that one on my dating profile. Well, they're not disgusting. Thinking, well, they are embarrassing. Look, this, it, it was, but it was the pain as well, Kylie. So it looked Overnight. awful. Overnight. Overnight this happened and it took five months. Look at this. I could barely leave the house, but it was also the pain. There was excruciating pain under my skin, headaches. How would you resolve it, it in the end? Because you were going to lots of different doctors and right. specialists and trying to work it out. No one could tell me what it was. Yeah, it right. took five months of Which is frightening on its own. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Wondering if I'm going to look like that forever. No one could attribute it to dermal filler because it had been four years since my last injections. Anyway, I ended up at an aesthetic ocular plastic surgery 
neurosurgeon, Dr Angelo Serbis, who identified it as a delayed reaction to dermal filler because I'd had a, a viral illness, a bad viral illness. And this is the thing they're only just discovering about dermal filler. Wow. Years later, even if it's years after your last injection, if you have a viral illness or an autoimmune issue, it can it's like this bad reaction that happens to leftover filler particles. Because we didn't know this 15 years ago. Didn't know this we didn't know. Right. And the doctor I saw said it's quite rare, but he sees a few cases a month now. He saw one woman who had this reaction 10 years after her mm. last dermal filler injection. Oh, so how, what was the solution? How did you fix it? You can fix it. It's either surgical is worst case to yeah. remove the filler particles, or you can have these micro hyalize injections. I've had two treatments of those that dissolve away the filler particles, and I may need one or two more treatments of that to fully get rid of it. But And no more filler ever? No. Yeah. No. So <laughs> what's your advice? Because this is gained an incredible new popularity during yeah. COVID. Right, people are leaning on this stuff and looking to it. What, what do you say to them? I, I'm not putting anyone off having any uh, cosmetic treatments because I think it, it's a personal thing. And I know for me, it was such a subtle difference to my appearance, but it made such a big difference to my self-esteem and my self-confidence. So I'm not telling anyone that cosmetic procedures are bad. I just think you really, really need to be prepared that we are still learning about some of the long-term effects mm. yeah. of some of these treatments and no cosmetic procedure is risk-free. And if you hadn't have got sick, you may never have had this reaction, but you just never know what's around the corner, Who knows? Right? This time it was a viral illness. Who knows wow. what it could be next? Um, speaking of bags under your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got new bags now. You've got new bags. You're waking up at 3 a.m. for a little bit of a radio gig at the moment you're doing. Congratulations. Thank That's you. fun. Yeah, it's really exciting. I'm doing a little fill-in gig on Wave FM, mm. which is down in the Illawarra in Wollongong. And my co-host is the gorgeous Damien Leith. Oh, wow. He is amazing. Does he sing to you in the morning? He does. He serenades me every day. <laughs> so I first met Damien in, in about 2006 when he won Australian Idol. And, and look, that was us last week having lunch. He is such a charming, beautiful guy. There's the before and afters. That's 2006 and 2021. See, Kylie, oh, a co-host that takes her co-host to lunch. I like the sound of it. Good on you, Sammy. Uh, Way to guys. go. Setting the pace for all co-hosts around Australia. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, was, yeah I'm happy to. Yeah, fascinating. Who Thanks, paid for Sammy. lunch? The station, the radio oh, station. Oh, <laughs> oh we're <right>. screwed. <laughs> Thanks, Sammy. Good to see you. Well, welcoming a child is an exciting time, of course, for every parent. But between time off work and buying cots, prams and nappies, the cost of bringing home bub can also be daunting for many Australian families. Absolutely. For eligible mums and dads, there is help available from parental leave to partner payments. But how much could you actually be entitled to and when should you start applying to get the financial support you need? For more, we're joined by General Manager of Services Australia, Hank Jongden, live from Canberra. Hi, Hank. Good day. How are you? We're Great. Uh, so we get the exciting news we're expecting. Ha not, not you and me. Like Congratulations. Like, <laughs> people get the exciting news they're expecting. <laughs> How do they find out if they are eligible for parental leave from Centrelink, Hank? Well, of course, uh, the first thing to say is you need to be the primary carer to qualify for the leave. Uh, there is an income uh, threshold. You need to have earned 150, less than 150000 a year in the uh, period leading up to the birth of the child. You also need to have worked for at least 10 months of the preceding 13 months. But the good news is with the pandemic, uh, if you receive JobKeeper, it 
it uh, forms, it, it's counted as work. Okay. Uh, Hank, if we are eligible, how much parental leave can you get? Uh, it's set at the national uh, wage uh, threshold, which is $750 per week before tax. And how long do we get that for? Uh, a total of 18 weeks. Uh, and in the case of uh, dad and partner pay, that's paid same rate for a period of two weeks. Okay. When can we take this leave? Do, do we need to do it from the day the child is born? Can it be postponed? Well, look, the system is really flexible, actually. Um, at the time that you claim and uh, uh, you nominate a date from which you would like payments to commence. And the great news is you don't need to take uh, the full, the full uh, uh, block of leave uh, in one, set, one block. You can actually uh, delay part of it and you can delay it for as long as uh, two years uh, following the, the anniversary of the birth or adoption of a child. Um, oh, sorry, carry on. Yeah, sorry. No, carry on. Oh, look, and my advice is claim early and claim online because it is a very straightforward system. Uh, you just touched on partner payments. Just, just give us a broader view. What can they apply for actually? Well, actually, it's dad and partner pay. Okay. Uh, as I said, it's paid at the same rate. It's a total of two weeks. You can decide when you want to take it, as long as it's within 52 weeks of the birth or adoption of a child. Okay. So say we're given paid parental leave by our workplace. Can we use that as well as the, can you, as well as the Centrelink payments? I think that's a double dipping question. Can you double it's dip? not actually, yeah, look, that's the beauty of the system. It's not actually double dipping. Uh, under the rules, uh, you can uh, receive the parental leave at the same time as any paid or unpaid leave. Uh, and look, what we encourage you to do, of course, is uh, talk to your employer because it's your employer that will actually make the payments on our behalf. Okay, now oh, we, okay. we know you and yours have been working really hard to, to make all these processes very simple so to, and, and easy to access. Talk us through the process of applying for parental leave then. Well, as I said before, look, claim early, claim online, it's the most straightforward way. But the really important thing here is talk to your employer. We encourage people to talk to their employer up to 10 weeks prior to the uh, birth of a child. Okay. And there's a reason for that. As I said, the employer is the person uh, that will be making payments on our behalf, which means that your payments are made as part of your normal cycle. They're also in a position to understand your tax situation and you can negotiate your leave with them. Uh, so that's the first step we'd encourage you to do. Now, we will also, as part of the claim process, ask you for some documents. Things like tax file number, Medicare numbers, those sorts of things. And a birth, so, you birth know, certificate, it's I guess. To square all that away. And a birth certificate would be probably pretty handy. Is that? Do they need to uh, supply? Yes. <laughs> and look, the great thing is, again, hospitals are pretty streamlined with all of this. Most parents will get what's called a parenting pack. That gives you everything you need to confirm the birth of a child. Uh, and what it means is if you've already claimed, it's a very straightforward process at a very busy time, let's face it. Right. Uh, is there any help available outside of parental leave? 
Oh yes there is. Look, the most well-known payment of course is family tax benefit. Uh, it's usually, depending on your circumstances, it's usually paid in two parts, family tax A and B. That depends on the number and age of children uh, as well as your income of course. And then the other big payment uh, for working parents in particular and students uh, uh, is childcare subsidy and that helps offset the cost of childcare. Okay. Okay, Hank, thank you so much. Just, just quickly, lots of people through the pandemic getting fur babies, dogs, cats, the like. Um, any help available? That, that dog food is quite expensive. <laughs> I wish there was. No. I think I've got the most expensive dog in the history of the universe <laughs> really? right now. <laughs> All right, Hank, lovely to talk Thanks. to you. And congratulations Thanks, to you and Kylie on expecting your first <laughs> child together. <laughs> Good to see you. I'm thrilled. Yes. I'm really yes. thrilled. Yes. Good luck, you two. <laughs> Well, it always makes us pretty proud, doesn't it, to see an Aussie making it in the US. And for the past decade, Robin Lawley has been doing just that, sitting at the top of her game in the modelling world. While she has never been afraid to share her beauty for the world to see, there was one thing she'd been hiding, and that's her battle with epilepsy. Robin had suffered with seizures for, me seizures for many years, but has only recently decided to share the full story on her new podcast. We welcome Robin Lawley live from New York. Wonderful to see you again, Robin. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Hi uh, Miss Australia. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> Good to see you. Tell us about your decision to go public with the fact that you have epilepsy. Why now? Um, well, you know, after doing my epic podcast and hearing all the survivors and just hearing their stories, I felt now is the time to just be honest. I kind of am sick of this uh, dishonesty and Ryan O'Connell had such a story to tell and he had uh, been keeping his disability in the disability closet as he told it. And I kind of was feeling the same way. I was sick of hiding it and I felt, mm. why should I? I shouldn't feel ashamed of my epilepsy and other people felt the same way. And I love when I hear people share their epileptic stories and epilepsy isn't something I should feel ashamed of. And so, yeah, I feel like that 11-year-old hearing my story is going to feel so much more reassurance when they hear my story. Because, yeah, you feel, I don't know, you feel that sense of, I don't know, you, you can comradeship when you hear yeah. others. Yeah. Well, well, you're not on your own, right? You were actually scheduled to be on our show a couple of weeks ago, but you suffered a seizure. Talk us through what happened then and, and how are you now? Yeah, unfortunately, I did. I suffered a seizure. I, I don't use that excuse often. And I hadn't had a seizure in six months' time. And so I was really, uh, you know, you never like waking up from a seizure. And I unfortunately did and woke up in that hospital. And, you know, I had to listen to, once again, my podcast to rally me out of that hospital bed because, as any epileptic does, when you... To especially go to hospital you've had a really bad seizure because you know usually when you've had a seizure you can just you know comfort yourself and you can get through them but the times that you've had to go to hospital it's not a good feeling and um, so yeah it's one of those unfortunate things and you have to rest and like I said I used my own audible podcast to get me through that I used Tria Pitt's story I used Lucy Bloom's story because when you've gone through these near-death experiences, you just you have to use those motivational 
speakers. You have to mm. use those stories to get you through those moments. Yeah, whatever it takes. Uh, you've admitted to being scared about losing jobs because you say the fashion industry is notoriously judgy. Um, what's the response been like since opening up and talking about your epilepsy? Have you lost any work that you're aware of? Yeah, I have. They're notoriously judgy and they judge. You know, I've had people message me going, why are you sharing this? Are you stupid? You know, I, why are you doing this? Like, you know, they're going to judge you. They're going to, you know. And, you know, I look back in time and I look back through history and people, you know, they... <laughs> I think change doesn't come easy, you know, and I think you have to put your foot down, you know, and I think you have to make a stance. And like I said, I'm not ashamed of my epilepsy. It's something I couldn't control. It's something that's come from a stroke and mm. uh, the stroke came from lupus and something I've put into remission is lupus. And I did that through a plant-based diet, something that's incredible. So if I can stop women and men from getting lupus and sharing that information, I will. And that is an incredible feat for me. So okay. I'm trying to share that information to stop strokes from stopping from my generation, because I'm a 31 year old woman and that's a young age for a person to have a stroke. So mm. I think the sharing information is something I can do to stop and prevent and save yeah. lives and I will. Robin, we've got to say goodbye, but just before we go, you say you want to dispel the myths around epilepsy. So the stage is yours as we say goodbye. What would you like our viewers to know? Um, epilepsy is actually really quite common, more common than you think, and it can happen to absolutely anyone of any age, and it can happen to you. So don't judge it before you know it. And, you know, be healthy and, you know, try to prevent epilepsy. And, it can, yeah, like I said, it can happen to absolutely anyone. And... Yeah. <laughs> Very well said. Uh, Robin, always lovely to catch up with you and glad to hear you're doing really well. Your podcast is called Everybody and it's available now for people to find out. Audible Original Everybody with Robin Lawley. Thank you, Robin. No worries. I'm so grateful to be here and so grateful to be alive. And, you know, thank you so much for having me, guys. Uh, always lovely to see you, Robin. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, Australian swimming superstar Bronte Campbell may be gearing up to compete at the Tokyo Olympics, but it's not the only sporting event keeping her busy. The gold medal winner is throwing her support behind Special Olympics Australia, an organisation that provides sporting opportunities for those with intellectual disabilities. Now, it's a cause close to Bronte's heart. Her younger brother, Hamish, lives with cerebral palsy and requires around-the-clock care. There are currently more than 7,000 Special Olympics Australia participants playing 17 sports right across across the country. And Bronte Campbell joins us live from Brisbane this morning. Hi, Bronte. Hello. Um, first hey. up, how's the prep going for, for Tokyo? The trials start in just over a month. How's, how are you feeling? Good. It's all coming around really quickly. So we had that weird time when um, it all got cancelled, seeing the Olympics were so far away, and now suddenly it's, it's right on our doorstep. So it's all gearing up now. I'm really, really excited about you, it. We feel lucky to get you in the studio because this close to the Olympics, you must be training like 28 hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, if there were 28 hours in the day, that, that is what I'd be doing. But um, you've got me in between training, morning and night training. So I was, I was lucky I got to nip into the studios up right. here and up here in Brizzy. Yeah, I suspect this is usually your sleep time, is it? Um, 
You've talked to a lot of swimmers if you know that yeah. it's our nap time. But yes, this is normally my nap time, so I am giving up my nap. But um, I'm aware that I'm a pretty privileged person because napping is part of my job. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. The Australian Olympic Committee uh, has secured vaccines for all the athletes headed to Tokyo. The first dose coming next week. Um, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a relief to know that we're going to be able to get vaccines going over because we don't really know what we're what we're going into and what the Olympics are going to look like. So that's um, really good. And um, I think that the biggest thing for us is knowing that we're not actually displacing anyone from the queue. That was something I didn't really want to do, but I'm glad that they've managed to make the vaccines available and, and knowing that we're not actually taking them for anyone that needs them. Yeah. So um, the first one will be next week. Okay. Hey, let's talk about this fantastic project, uh, your work with Special Olympics Australia. It's great stuff. Your brother Hamish, as Carly mentioned, has cerebral palsy. Uh, how has participation in sports helped him? So my brother, um, him getting out into the community and um, seeing what that does for him. He goes and does sailing, um, he goes and does swimming, he goes to City Hall and listens to the concerts. Seeing how that enriches his life is something that um, I feel very privileged to be on the front seat of that and I'm so passionate about what sport can do. It's this um, unifying thing. It brings the community together and it promotes inclusion in, in ways that other things just can't. So to be um, partnering with IGA and Special Olympics and um, pushing forward this great cause of community and, and just knowing that that makes an actual difference in people's lives. It's, it's not just words on a page and it, um, it brings so much joy, not only to the person involved, but everyone else. So it's not just people with an intellectual disability who this is benefiting. It's everyone that gets to see that and the joy that they bring to that environment. So it's, um, it's something that's really close to my heart. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And Special Olympics Australia, they're holding a fundraiser at the moment because these programs, they take money, you know, to, to run them. How can people get involved in this fundraiser, Bronte? So fundraiser is really easy. All you need to do is do your normal grocery shop. Just make sure you head into IGA and buy anything that's got a community chess ticket on it. It's just a little blue ticket. And um, money from that goes to Special Olympics Australia and that helps them run these programs and, and get people with an intellectual disability participating in sport. Oh, great That's stuff. combining one of my favourite activities in sports, uh, shopping, Bronte. So. <laughs> you, can buy, you can buy chocolate and support sport. Like, wow. when else can you do that? That's great. Fantastic. <laughs> hey, there are tight restrictions around the Tokyo Olympics this year. You have the rare opportunity in that you could be going with your sister, Kate. That must be very important to have that network around you at a big event like that. Yeah, I think it's going to be really important. Um, obviously, going over, we're, we've got a long time over there. Um, we've got a two-week lead-in period. We're probably going to have to quarantine on the way home or definitely quarantining on the way home. I'm not actually sure whether it's a bonus being locked in a hotel room with your sister or not. I'll let you know how that ends yeah, up yeah, going. Yeah. <laughs> we'll check in with you on day four onwards. <laughs> yeah, please. I mean, maybe check on check on me up to day four and after that. Yeah, OK. Um, <laughs> after that, I may not be worth talking to. <laughs> uh, we, we, we love uh, hearing, hearing about everything that you're doing. Thank you so much, Bronte, for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, guys. And good luck for the trials. Yeah. Hold up. 
Well, when it comes to getting fired, even celebrities aren't immune to a dramatic dismissal. Ryan Gosling was let go from the lovely bones because he gained too much weight. Jenny Slate only lasted one season on Saturday Night Live after accidentally swearing live on air, while Megan Fox was terminated from the Transformers franchise when she trash-talked the movie's director in an interview. Now, away from Hollywood, it's safe to say most employees at least try to remain professional. But did you know there's a long list of workplace breaches that could send you packing prematurely, from how you dress to oversharing on social media? Today, we're revealing the surprising things you never knew could cost you your job. Lawyer and legal analyst Michael Kozilny joins us with more. Hi, Michael. Uh, employees can be in the firing line for a variety of reasons. Let's walk through some of the mm. more quirky rules, starting with how you dress. Well, that's right. Uh, you can actually get the sack for um, uh, not dressing appropriately. Imagine, for example, if you had a part-time job as a uh, work in a bar where lots of ladies go and they told you to wear a, a jock strap and a tie, a leather tie, and if you refuse to follow that policy, you can get the sack for that. So some places you've got to dress provocatively. Mm. And others, for example, the ATO um, changed their policy a few years ago saying that the ladies can't dress too provocatively because it doesn't uh, fit with their public image. So whatever dress code is appropriate to that type of employment. So can we just go back to me in a leather thong yes. and a tie <laughs> here at this job? You mean, or no, no, your, job? your moonlighting job. Oh, the other job, that's if, okay. It, it, scenario. If that was a requirement yes. of, of the that job, job, according to the ATO yes, guidelines. and under no circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> well, the ATO is another story. <laughs> but if that place okay. advertised and said, look, there's lots of hen's nights here, yes. and we want you to stand at the door and, and you know look like a manpower man to, to meet these ladies, and you turn up in a suit, they'd say, listen, we've warned you a few times, um, and then they could dismiss you from their job. I think uh, Kylie's thinking, well, that business would go broke pretty quickly with me standing out the front. Now, sharing too much on social yes. media. This is a big trap for so many people. Indeed. It can get you in hot water real quick and in a whole lot of trouble. But where do we draw the line? Well, uh, I think the line is, is blurred these days because there's lots and lots of cases where people have um, uh, been disgruntled and, and they're saying bad things about a former employer. Mm -hmm. uh, a recent case, uh, uh, a student um, was um, uh, saying very, very bad things about a former school teacher. A court mm -hmm. um, uh, awarded uh, that school teacher $105,000 in damages. Mm -hmm. So, um, as we know from the defamation laws, the courts are getting much tougher on that. Yes. So, uh, a lot of workplaces have policies about they have social media policies they have policies for all sorts of things but if we breach those mm. and your employer finds out there's grounds for instant dismissal okay what about bad-mouthing your boss or colleagues maybe even just to your mates over dinner mm. how about that yeah, as well, opposed to being on social media well that's right um, Kylie, and that sort of falls back into the uh, the social media work laws if if that third person for example tells the boss and uh, that's that's once again a, a breach of a uh, workplace policy uh, probably not on first occasion that they would get rid of you but if there's uh, multiple occasions um, you know it's it forms part of that uh, policy of their work and uh, mm. that could warrant a dismissal being drunk at work apparently is also a no-no. Who knew? Uh, but what about, what about Friday drinks? What about a social gathering with the team, either in the office space or out at a, a, a restaurant somehow? There's also some room to make mistakes here, right? To, to blurred lines here. Yeah, both employee and employee must be very, very careful. And we've seen this over the years at Christmas functions. Uh, certainly a ground for dismissal and immediate sack. And we've seen it. Um, uh, but, but what the... Uh, uh, for, the for, but for on for, what? For being drunk? Being intoxicated. Right, OK. Yeah. 
Because a lot of uh, workplaces have drug and alcohol policies. And so they say, look, we're quite strict on this. Do not get intoxicated um, if you associate with this firm. There's always exceptions, though, Kylie. At a recent case at the Opera House, there was a, a, a female project manager who got very, very intoxicated um, at a, a work party. Um, she then uh, made some sexual remarks towards uh, people and all sorts of grabbing and stuff. She got dismissed for being drunk, but she went to the Fair Work Commission, and they found that um, it was an isolated incident. She had a great work record, and they balanced all that, so they reinstated her into her job. Okay. So they do look at... Um, the, the entire the whole, picture. The whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about dating the boss or dating a co-worker? Uh, lots mm. of companies have very clear policy around mm. this. Well, a lot of people meet at work because we spend more time at work than we do at home sometimes. And, um, and there's no problems with uh, dating somebody, even getting married to somebody. We see it with police people. We see it in the army and we see it uh, in networks like this. Um, however, if, if, um, if it's not consensual and there's some type of coercion uh, uh, where uh, it might be brought up that if you don't uh, date me, I'll, um, you won't get that job or there's a promotion going, um, you know, why don't we go out for dinner? And if, it's, uh, if, if it borders on sexual harassment mm. or um, coercion, then, uh, then of course, uh, down the track, it could um, problematic for be sure. very problematic. Very quickly, what about lying on your job application? This could be trouble. Um, what about just like a, like a teeny weeny white lie, like I've won two Walkley Awards for journalism? Yeah, well, like good question, line. and so many people do it, but the, um, the courts are getting so much more serious. 2018, uh, Hertz uh, employed a chap called Tam. Tam said he had done that job for more than five years. It found out that he'd only done it for uh, less than 12 months. And they found a whole bunch of um, uh, strange behaviour. They Google searched this person, and he had about five previous claims against other employers. And, right, um, right. and he got dismissed because of that incorrect information, and the commission found it was warranted that um, that we should not lie on um, on resumes. Sure, and stealing, obviously, that that goes without saying. Yeah, well, that's right. We, a major theft, obviously, yeah. instant dismissal. But uh, even small things, uh, like um, stationery covered stationery, items, stationery. <laughs> it's costing Australia 1.5 billion dollars on these small items. And certainly, people think it's just a pen, it's just mm. a staple, it's just this. But employers are sick and tired of it. And if, um, and it's usually in a workplace policy. And it's so yeah. important that um, um, that people don't steal because uh, you know two or three of those minor thefts can. Um, get people fired. Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Read the fine print. Thanks. To sum it all up, employers have to get, give people a fair go yes. and uh, employees have to do the right thing and follow the rules. Good stuff and I swear I'll bring those post-it notes back. <laughs> Sounds fair enough. <laughs> Good Thank to you, see Michael. Helicopters versus tigers, free range or snow ploughs. Are we talking about the last segment? We're still? talking about parenting. Oh, it can be a minefield of labels, judgment and guilt, but it's the overprotective mums and dads who may be making the biggest mistakes, with some fearing our bubble-wrapped children will lead to a generation of ill-equipped adults. Teacher, mother of two and daughter of a former PM, Daisy Turnbull, is urging parents and carers to take risks with your kids. A new book is a crucial to-do list designed to to build confidence, resilience and independence. And we welcome to The Morning Show author of 50 Risks to Take with Your Kids, Daisy Turnbull. Welcome to you, Daisy. Lovely Thanks to see for you. having me. Now, as a teacher, what changes have you noticed in parents and kids, let's say, over the last decade, for instance? I think just a lot more involvement, a lot more stepping in when the kids should be doing it for themselves. And I think that a lot of that um, has come slowly, but now you look back and you think it was nothing like that when I was a kid. So I have a daughter who's still at preschool. We get a daily update 
update in an app about what she's doing every day. Mm. And then I feel bad for the parents because their kids then go to kindy and they get two school reports a year. So I think often right. in the early years, we're setting them up for this expectation of constant contact, and then they're not getting that when they get to school. Yeah, then fast forward to high school, then fast forward to uni. It's a, yeah. Oh, it all happens so quickly. My, my boss actually said to me that she was invited to a parents' evening for her daughter's first year of uni for college, and I was thinking, what? why? <laughs> they should, <laughs> yeah, they shouldn't right. step foot in the college. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got a bone to pick with so-called helicopter parents. Yeah. What is that? I think helicopter parents are ones who really, like, everyone really loves their kids, but they step in and do things for the kids and they hover like a helicopter. There's also the lawnmower parent who removes any bumps in the way and snowplow parents, so many analogies mm. for parents. But I think that it's about doing so much for your kids, often because it's easier to do it for them at that age mm. to step in, but then you're not giving them the opportunity to learn to do it themselves. Sure. So you want parents to take risks. You want parents to let kids take risks. Yes. What are the risks of not taking risks? Where do we end up if we don't let the kids do that? If we don't let kids take risks and learn to do things as them, when they're kids, they'll have heaps of anxiety about doing these things as adults. So if the first time you have an awkward social situation is when you're in your late teens at uni or work and mm. you've never dealt with that before, then you will have a much harder time dealing with that. If the first time you realise you're not good at something is when you're in your 30s, right. that will be a much more difficult experience to have than discovering when you're 9 or 10. I'm interested in your upbringing. <laughs> you know, Dad, Malcolm Chamberlain, yep. former Prime Minister, your, your mum, Mayor yep. of Wollara. So, oh, what's City of Sydney. City of Sydney. <laughs> so, what, what, um, what upbringing did you have to make you want to take to do risk? This. Yeah. yeah, I would say that I just had a very stereotypical 80s and 90s upbringing. And for me, it was very normal. I, was, I don't think my parents were incredibly risky compared to the other parents. My parents were younger than a lot of my school friends' parents. So, mm. I think to that end, they were kind of ready to, you know, get messy and have fun and kind of mm. roll around. We did a lot of activities in Centennial Park, the local park near where we live, went to the beach all the time. But I think that, um, I don't think what they did then was shocking. But now when I look back on what I did as a kid and what kids are doing now, it's very different. And mm. I think that's, I think it was that experience and also having young kids now and realising that's not what we're doing with kids, seeing that difference and then seeing the impact in the high school classroom. Well, all right, let, let's drill down a little bit. Okay. Let's talk physical risks. What yes. sort of physical risks would you like kids to take? I want more kids climbing trees and I want more kids playing with sticks. Old school. Yeah, mm. old school stuff, which probably for us doesn't sound that risky, mm. but I see parents stopping their kids from doing things. Right. And I also want kids to figure out what they feel comfortable doing and not. Because, mm. you know, you don't want to put your kid on a scooter on the top of a hill and expect them to roll down if they're not comfortable doing it. You yeah. want them to measure their own risk capacity. Mm -hmm. And you talk about character risks. I'm really yeah. interested in that too. And I love the perspective that you're a teacher as well. Oh, thank you. So sometimes you spend more time with our kids maybe than we spend with them, <laughs> really. So can you talk about character risks? I think character is a really important um, element of a human, obviously, but I think it's something that we need to develop and it's something that we expect there's a lot of victimhood that goes on there's a lot of kind of not taking responsibility and looking at everything that's around them i think a lot of what we need kids to do is take responsibility have problem solving skills come up with solutions themselves mm. and that's what this book tries to do so one of the risks is letting your kid be bored 
And actually, when we're bored, that's when we come up with our best ideas. We right. don't come up with great ideas when we're overstimulated and watching yeah. iPads and playing. So interesting. Um, lovely to talk to you. Thank you Thank very you much so for coming much. in. We've had your dad on. Now you've been on. Let yep. mum know there's always a spot for him. We'll do the family thing. Thank you. Lovely Thank to see you. you Daisy Chamble's book is out now. It's called 50 Risks to Take with Your Kids, A Guide to Building Resilience and Independence in the First 10 Years. Go good stuff. Climb, go and climb a tree. Play with sticks. It sounds good. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Morning Show podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. As always, you'll find more info on our website at themorningshow.com.au and we'll catch you again weekdays following sunrise on Channel 7.